0: Welcome back to Gal in the Go Unplugged. My guest today is Ashley Robinson, co-producer of the show Fear the Walking Dead, a popular American post apocalyptic horror drama television series. Ashley has been with the show for the past five years, working as an assistant to the executive producer, production associate, associate producer, and currently as mentioned co-producer. In addition to being executive producer on other projects, Ashley is inspiring proof of what can happen when you mix a strong work ethic with following your passion. I am beyond excited that she agreed to be on
1: the show. Hey, Ashley. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you
0: for coming on Unplugged. Um, So in your terminology of your industry, let's cut right to your journey. Okay. So what sparked your interest in working in the field of television production?
1: So when I was in I think it was middle school. I there was a new video store that opened up right around the corner from where I lived. And I had been into television and movies, but um, Kill Bill Volume One became available to rent. And I think I rented that movie at least 12 times. It was enough. Yeah, it was enough to where the the two guys that worked there knew me by name. And they were like, oh, you're coming to get it again. Um, Just because I was so enamored with the story and how it was shot. I I loved film and TV up until that point. But that specific movie made me think about how could I actually do something like this? So um, that's right around middle school and the beginning of high school is when I started to look into like making my own shorts, um, using the resources at my high school to my disposal. Um, in high school, I was the director of our morning TV program. So I got to have fun with that and kind of like play with styles of shooting, like our tele our morning TV program, which was different. Um, we even we I got in trouble because we shot uh one of the morning announcements in the style of that 70s show when they're sitting at the table and they're all high and it goes around the circle. And we did that and uh got in trouble for that because obviously we're in high school, we shouldn't be pretending that we're we're under the influence. But everybody thought it was really great and that I really like captured like that round table, like style of shooting. Um, So I've been interested since high school. I went to um, college for film. Um, UT in Austin has a really amazing film program. Uh, Learned a lot from my professors there and did a study abroad program that they have in Los Angeles where I got to intern and work on sets. And that kind of solidified that I wanted to work in the industry. Um, I didn't realize where I wanted to work in the industry, but um, getting hands-on experience in Los Angeles really paved the way to figuring out what to do next. Uh, So that's kind of like my journey Well,
0: that's deep that you knew from middle school age, like genuinely knew. And do you have any of your stuff to this day? Like, do you have the first short
1: you ever made saved or? (laughs) I actually I have three, which I've done much more, but they've been lost to time. Um, One of them, the reason why I still have it is because I was a student council president And in uh, Texas, all the student councils get together like as a state conference and um, they can enter in these different competitions to show off what their program is doing like thematically for their school as like a positive step forward. And we wanted to concentrate on um, like obesity and healthy eating. So we shot a short that I directed uh, in school and it was kind of like uh, the story of Fat Albert. It's very interesting to think about it now. But we had, we ended up winning that competition, so um, I still have that one because it's still with the Texas Student Council like organization in their archives. So I have that one, and then a few other terrible ones that I will never let see the light of day.
0: Well, the first one sounds amazing, and I guess the rest will will be a, the mystery. <laughs> It will ruin me because they're terrible. (laughs) Uh, I bet you not. But, you know, creative is all subjective. So now, okay, so you had that focus in middle school, carried it through like formal education through college and internships. And then how did you come to working on the show Fear the Walking Dead?
1: So I moved to L.A. um, in 2015, as most people who enter the industry do. It's either L.A. or New York. Now you can go to Atlanta, which I wish was an option at the time. Um, But Atlanta wasn't really as booming as it is right now with film production. Uh, But when I went there, I, I still was heavily involved in UT's alumni program, which is part of the reason a lot of people go to the University of Texas, because their alumni program is so well-connected throughout the United States. Um, They would have a lot of industry and networking events all over the country, and that included Los Angeles. And um, one of the networking events I went to, I met a producer who was working on bringing some AMC productions to Texas. Um, At the time, that didn't include Fear, but it included a show called The Sun, Um, which ran for like a season or two. Uh, He said there was a possibility of an opening there. So I kind of like knew that I wanted to go back. If I could some way work in Texas, I wanted to go back home and do that. So I kind of jumped at that. Unfortunately, that position wasn't available. um, But through those connections, I was able to get an interview for... um, an, another AMC production that was coming to Austin, and it happened to be Fear the Walking Dead. But I actually didn't know it was Fear when I uh, interviewed for the job. It was actually it was, it's kind of a funny story. So like our our show uses misnomers as most shows do, um, so that way you can post signage around the city whenever you're shooting. So like for example, past seasons we've used monikers such as like Tarantula or a scorpion for whatever season we're working on. Uh, that first season when they came to Texas, it was Bats. And so um, I've sent the information that Bats was interviewing for an uh, assistant position to an executive producer. I didn't know who the executive producer was. And I assumed because it said Bats, that they were adapting for television, the 1991 movie Bats, Oh, which- wow. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's it's not that great. <laughs> it's about a town in Texas that gets overrun by these human sized bats. Like I think Lou Diamond Phillips is in it. I watched it just so I could be prepared for the interview. Um, and so then when I got to the office, I noticed all of the posters and all of the decor was all The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. So I was very confused, but I was also super excited because I'm a major, I was I've watched The Walking Dead since it started, as well as Fear the Walking Dead when it spun off. So I was like, "Oh, this is not bats! Yay!" And <laughs> the, the the second part that I was surprised by was when I. Um, was invited to go in for my interview and um, I get to the office and luckily she was looking down. Um, So when I stepped in, I got to see her before she saw me and I quickly stepped out and like, just took a breath because it was Gail Ann Hurd, (laughs) which I don't know if a a lot of your listeners know who Gail Ann Hurd is, but she's a major producer in Hollywood. She's paved the way for women uh, to work and um is really a stalwart in the industry um she's she's produced like so many hits which includes like terminator and uh, aliens and i knew who she was Um, and I knew she's the person who brought the walking. She's one of the people who helped bring the walking dead to AMC. So I was a little gobsmacked because I knew exactly who she was like it's, and she's in a very intimidating person. So I didn't know I was having the interview with her. Um, So I had to collect myself and then go in and interview for the job. And she hired me on the spot.
0: That is wild. And I think you set yourself up for success. You know, (laughs) most people would probably be like, oh, no, I'm stuck in that moment, like not turn around really quickly take a breath just like recenter yourself and go back in i'm sure that like you know really worked in your favor with like the situation and that's super cool she was obviously impressed to hire you on the spot
1: i i think she was um she even had to call the person that came in right before me to let him know he didn't get the job cuz he, he thought he did and he had already quit it within the last i don't know 20 minutes so i felt bad about that but not really cuz it's it was it's even though it was a lot of hard work, a lot of long hours, um, It. it's probably one of the best opportunities I've ever gotten.
0: Well, I am so glad you got that opportunity, um, especially since you deserved it with all the knowledge you had of her and her, you know, history of um, pieces that she was involved in. So, OK, so what is a typical day like for you on that show?
1: All right. So I think I'm going to try and describe one of the days from this week, just because I didn't really get a lot of sleep this week. So it's hard to think (laughs) free that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to plug out of an episode when you're currently in one. So um, we're filming in Savannah, Georgia, uh, where the, the weather is very temperamental. So right now it's like about 40 degrees is really cold yesterday. And then at the beginning of the week, it was like 60 degrees and warm. And then it was raining. Um, so for a typical day, all of the work we're filming right now is day work, which means we have a limited amount of sunlight since we're still in winter. So we start, we start filming at sunrise and finish right before sunset. So um, because we're an on location shooting show, I'll have to usually drive to get to the location and this these particular locations are about 40 minutes. So I kind of wake up at like 530, um, get all my gear together, um, particularly to make sure I'm warm because we're working outside and dry because it's raining Um I get there and then grab breakfast and uh sometimes I I like to sleep if I can. So I'll I'll I've started taking advantage of like now that I have this position, you know, I can ask a PA to get me a breakfast. Which is still kind of weird to me, but everybody's so nice. You earned it. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get there. Um, We already know what scenes we're going to be shooting for the day. And usually we start with a rehearsal with cast in the morning. Um, We go through the words and then we do... Uh, rehearsal with uh, action, we see what we want to change, what dialogue we want to modify. If there's a specific concern with some of the lines that we're saying, then I'll either use my own discretion to say that that's something we could change. Or if it's something that's a little more important to the script and the story, then I will run it to the writers because we don't have writers on set. So I'm kind of serving in that capacity. So I'll run it to the writers and let them know what changes we want to make. And then they'll usually give me a yes. But if they give me a no, then we'll chat it out. And if not, then, you know, we can get on the phone or whatnot. But we've are the people who are in this show um, are pretty well connected to their characters and kind of speak their language. And the writers understand this. So they really don't push back a lot because, you know, they know what they want to say and how their character would say it. Um and then we get to filming. Uh if they're our questions, I often get a lot of questions from different departments, um, maybe questioning whether a prop should be on someone's belt. Is that going to play in a future episode? So I'll answer those types of questions. Uh, if the script supervisor thinks a line doesn't sound weird. I kind of have to make a determination if we need to change it or if I need to explain why the ri- the lines are written the way that they're written. I'm also serving like as eyes and ears for what's happening later on in shooting. So like the next few days as well. Uh, So sometimes we may get emails from different department heads that have pictures of things that are being modified, like costumes or uh, a special effects gag that we need to run by the director. So I'm often showing the director, like, here's what they have, because they're not going to be checking their phone. They're going to be Directing. They're going to be answering the questions that are all around. So um, I'm running point on that. And then I'm just dialogue, I'm documenting everything because at the end of the day, I have to send a report to my bosses, which are the showrunners or writers. And our executive producer on the ground uh, and letting them know like what's going on throughout the day. um, How is the atmosphere with cast and crew? Is anybody unhappy? If there's like an incident or an accident, I have to let them know as soon as possible and then detail it in the report and then throughout the day, I'm also grabbing shots of what we see on the camera so I can show the different camera setups um, that we're shooting. And then sometimes if we're doing something really cool, like for instance, we we shot up this survivor's encampment yesterday with all this pyro, that special effects setup. So it looked like it was getting barraged by like machine gunfire um sometimes i get a recording of that so they can see how cool it looks oh wow um, <laughs> yeah so um that's throughout the day and then pretty much it's a lot of fielding questions and then writing my report and then um getting pictures m- m- wearing many hats and then we finish around sunset and then i come home and finalize my report and <laughs> finish it maybe like 2 hours later <laughs> oh my goodness I think that gives you I
0: hope the listeners and definitely myself an appreciation um you know you you make it look so seamless you and your team that I think it's taken for granted like all those components that go into it to making it as stellar as it is um you know and also It's so impressive because you're needing to make throughout your average day, like a a ton of on the spot decisions. Where does that come from for you? Like, um, is that like a natural confidence you have? Do you just have really great um, gut instinct? What do you attribute being able to make those um, important decisions to?
1: Well, I think, um, besides working as an assistant for Gail, I was also an assistant to Mikey Satrazimus, who is our, um, uh, one of our executive producers, and he is our producing director, which means he directs a lot of episodes during each season. And so, uh, being by his side, really installed a great confidence in what to look out for and what to watch for. Um, so I really got like on the spot training for that. And I think that has really helped me feel um, confident in the answers I'm given when questions are asked like that. So um, basically I've, I've been able to shadow a really great producer and a really great director and those skills uh, have kind of transferred to what I'm doing really well uh, which I think has helped specifically for this kind of show. I love it because I you know you were absorbing their
0: actions uh, like a sponge so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. Their expertise has really trained me well, in my opinion. But from what I hear from other people, you know, they're really, they, they trust the things I'm saying, which is good. Um, and of course, you know, when I started doing this specific position early on, when I was an associate producer, you know, we make mistakes, but you learn from them and, uh, like my bosses have been really gracious about being transparent about how to better or improve upon those mistakes in the future. Uh, so I really like rely on really good communication with them and um, being knowledgeable about the source material. So I've like the script, I break it down when we're in prep for the episode, That's the first thing I do. And then every revision, I read every change, Um, I'm going on all the director scouts. I'm making notes of different line changes. So really, I have a deep knowledge of the script we're working on whenever we get to shooting it, which I think
0: It's obvious you're putting in the work and you respect your craft. And, you know, it's it's really nice that you have those two people, right, that you had knowledge of and admired. And they obviously admire you to trust you in the position you're in, which that's pretty cool.
1: Oh, yeah. If they ever get to listen to this, I hope Gail and Mike you know, that I love them dearly. And one day I will win an award and I'll include them in my acceptance speech. (laughs) (laughs) I love it.
0: I hope they hear this. And I look forward to cheering you on from the other side of the screen as you give your speech, because I believe in that stuff. You know, you just put it out there, so it's going (laughs) to happen. Thank you. Now, okay, you mentioned uh, all the different things that you do, right, the components and the hats that you wear that are part of your role. So what is your favorite aspect um, of the role that you have or can you even say?
1: I can definitely say uh, this show is very uh, what, what I love about Fear the Walking Dead and The Walking Dead and maybe not. Something not many fans know is this is a very practical show. We do have a fantastic visual effects team that enhances a lot of what we do. But our special effects team uh, really goes the extra mile to really create practical effects for whatever big action sequences we have, whether it's and also our stunts team, whether it's um, walker kills or Car accidents, um, explosions. We really try to do it practically so that way we can just enhance it a little, a little bit. So it could be the most authentic thing you're seeing on screen. So I really enjoy seeing when we have a complicated piece of action in the script and figuring out how to bring that to life. I can't give an example from this season, but season seven of Fear the Walking Dead uh, is the aftermath of a nuclear explosion in Texas. Um, A couple of nukes went off. And so they're living in a nuclear wasteland um, at that point. And we had like several meetings with AMC about getting the LED stages that Mandalorian use. Uh, to shoot all those huge landscapes. Basically, you can shoot a small stage with some of it decorated and uh, peppered to look like what you want to have it on screen. And then you have a surrounding stage of all these screens where you can digitally enhance it. And that's how like on the main... you get these huge planets and landscapes that just look amazing it's really expensive they were the first people to use it but because we had this nuclear like nuclear winter uh we wanted to see if we could get that too because we wanted to really make it like look like it was absolutely like done. Like it was blasted. We didn't get that. We we had several meetings and they said, no, it was too expensive. So that meant we had to like go back to basics with how we were going to create this landscape for this show. And special effects just had like so many ideas that On screen, it looked so beautiful. Uh, We had dust cannons going off to really show the hazy atmosphere. Our cinematographers really made like that yellow lighting um, and everything look really like sickly and radiated. They like used like some areas that still had spotted fires and areas that were just completely ashed down. It looked incredible. And it it's my favorite part to see like what special effects comes up with to pull off these really amazing gags. I would think that that's a,
0: a, a big challenge because I recently watched one of the behind the scenes episodes for your show And I was really impressed. It focused more on like the dust cannons and the special effects and the, um, the stunt people. And, you know, you really do with the type of special effects that are on your show. It's like a one shot deal. (laughs) Like you
1: can't like collect all that dust and like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) And do it again. You're right. Our team is just so, they're so like, smart at what they do that we've never really had issues. Like sometimes we'll have issues with specific gags where we just have to reset and try again, but they make sure to, in their planning, have at least a plan for doing it two or three times. So that way, you know, just in case the first one's not the best, we can, we can try again um, and figure out what to do to make that fix better.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I can give one more example. We had in uh, season six, there was a gag where um, an RV was barreling down the road and they run into a walker and then the walker gets um, gummed up in the engine. So the characters get out and look underneath and uh, the walker has been, Tangled into the rotator. And so we, they created this like rotator where they put a stunt person who was an amputee on the rotator and was able to turn them around and had these fake, um, fake intestines wrapped around the rotator so that one way when the engine was turned on she spun which was the grossest coolest thing I had ever seen <laughs> that's wild and it is gross <laughs> yeah I think that was like uh Keith Carradine he came on the show and played uh John Dory's father and I think that was maybe that was his first episode and that was maybe like his fourth day and he was like y'all are really sick <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you got to be creative on any show, I think,
0: but yours, especially like you guys take it to a whole nother
1: level. And it just makes filmmaking fun. This is it's like some days are really, really tough because we're out in the cold and the rain. But like you really get to have fun with filmmaking and that's how it should be.
0: Oh, I love that, especially like as a fan. It's cool to hear that, you know, You, you want and you hope that that's the way it is. Now, okay, so for young girls who are interested in following your footsteps, what is something that you could share that's like a challenge for a producer in your industry?
1: I think um, for someone coming into uh, film or TV production, they need to understand that you do have to have a passion for this because when you first get started, it is going to be all of your time. And it's going to be some of your personal time too. You really have to um, sacrifice some a lot of time to get the foothold that you want to have. So as a production assistant, as a producer's assistant, uh, your individual time is really, you're you're kind of on call. So like, if you need to pick up things or if you need to drop off some items to a cast member or a director, you're going, if you want to be rem- remembered as a hard worker in that production, you're going to want to do those things. Because if you say no, which is absolutely within your right, they're just going to go to the next person who's going to be willing to say yes. Um, and that doesn't mean do anything unethical or immoral, but it does mean like, um, going at the extra mile really does have a long lasting memory for folks who work in this industry. They remember those things. And it's kind of like a little antiquated because we're in the time of like, you know, employees who should deserve to get the overtime they need and, uh, the personal time they need. It's, there's still a lot of people that are wanting to come work in television industry. So you are, you are, Consistently going to have to uh, prove why you are the person that's needing to be in these entry level positions. Um, So it's going to be hard work, but the result is you're going to do something that you're passionate about and you're going to pave the way for someone who looks like you to do the same thing.
0: I think that's excellent advice and beautiful because, you know, um, it's realistic. You know, your share is very realistic. And also, you know, it just proves like, uh, you know, they say in life that if you're really passionate about something, that, that comes to a challenge when like, let's say that passion is not so, um, pretty or exciting, but what do you, you know, how badly do you really want it? What lengths will you go to proves like the longevity of that passion and the depth of that passion that you have, which is proof in what you just said. <laughs>
1: Right. And then just like one thing, it's long hours. It's just be prepared for very, very long hours. If you're the type of person who you absolutely have to have your eight hours of sleep and uh, like weekend vacations out of town, then maybe this isn't the job for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I just I think I always have to prepare people. I'm like, you are going to work very long hours. I I don't even know how else to stress that. Now, I
0: know you have great respect for the current team that you're working with, but if you could work with any producer or director in the past who is no longer with us
1: or in the present, who would it be and why? So I had to think about when you asked this question, who I would say, because this has changed for me over the years, but um, there's been two people that have kind of been consistently on this list. I'm going to go say, I'm going to say Sam Raimi. Uh, He's a director. I love horror. He does a lot of horror stuff. And he's had such a great um, career to show that you can meld horror with other genres and it be successful. I love the Evil Dead franchise. And I think he really had a lot of fun with that. Um one of my favorite sequels of all time is Spider-Man 2 and I still think about that first scene when Doc Ock's getting um they're they're in the surgical room and they're trying to take off the machine from his body and it basically like kills all the doctors and nurses that are in the room it's terrifying but it's a comic book movie and nobody had done that yet (laughs) um and i love drag me to hell it's very clear he just they were just like here's some money have really fun with this very shitty person and give them a very shitty consequence and he really did Uh, I think a lot of people don't like Multiverse of Madness. Um, I loved it, (laughs) but I also love Sam Raimi. I think he like he the way his work speaks to how much fun he has as a director and how much he loves horror that he's willing to put elements of it in places it shouldn't belong. I would want to meet him one day and I would love to work for him.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, I hope both those things happen for you because, you know, you have a legit appreciation and knowledge base of you know, his work. So it's so cool to hear your perspective too, because, you know, when we think of, um, you know, people like the directors and the producers, we think of them one way, but you have that kind of um, more authentic, like work uh,
1: vision of the person. And that's really neat to hear. Yeah, he's and I've heard he's really nice. Like you work in this industry and you get you hear a lot of rumors about people. And it's really sad when you hear about the ones who aren't kind to others. But I heard he's like a very fun, kind person and really on top of loving his craft, he really respects the cast and crew that he works with, which I think is very important.
0: Oh, that's cool. So you can keep him at the top of your list. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. So, okay. So, what is like a, a tool of your trade that you could not live without?
1: There is a program called Scriptation that I use heavily. Unfortunately, I'm not an Apple user. I know everybody gives me crap about it. They're always like, you give me green bubble text. No, and no, I'm a droid girl. I'm with you. I support you completely. <laughs> Yeah, so I have like a really cool HP computer and I have the Samsung phone. Everything of mine is cool. It's just not Apple products. But uh, Scriptation is available on Apple's Apple's, um, app site, and I think it's still on the Microsoft Store. And it's a program that allows you to uh, make notes and modify and mark up a script. So um, I mentioned earlier that when we start prepping an episode, I break down a script. For me, that's just um, going through the script and highlighting in different colors, different portions of what's on the page so like i'll use a different color in highlight like blue to um show when we have a new location to show time of day um in a different color to show costuming or props and it's a really good tool to keep track of different things uh especially for like our show we have a lot of walkies like everybody has a walkie everybody has guns when do they lose their gun when do they lose their walkie <laughs> we, we watch for those things because fans will watch for those things they'll be like they lost their walkie in scene three and how ha- where did they get this one in c17 so uh, <laughs> i i heavily use some, uh scriptation to do that uh, while I'm on set, I can use scriptation to show where, how we modified a line. Maybe there was an ad lib by a character that I'll add in, or maybe a line was, uh, changed by a word or two. And then I could cross out that dialogue and write it in as it was said, um, when we shot it. And then I can also add pictures on there, which is great. Cause then I can show like, oh, we shot this scene. Here's the shot that here's the camera setup. Um, in a a screen grab of what that looked like. So I add those to my scripts. And then lastly, it has um, a function where you can add a page next to the script page. So then I could add whatever notes that I need to add. You know, in one of the camera setups, we saw the corner of a stunt pad. I can make a note about that, like which the script supervisor does do. But it's also good just for my own personal notes. So that way I can like warn my bosses or let them know something about it, too. So it's just a really good tool to keep notes of any scripts that you have and then mark them up with your own personal notes as well.
0: It sounds like you're you're incredibly like
1: have an amazing attention to detail. I think it's important because, uh, I love watching TVs and films, but, um, because I work in this industry, I can, I can see where people make mistakes. I mean, we all know the story about the Starbucks cup on game of Thrones, uh, that (laughs) like the fact that that was still in there, it's like, I know that they, that means they shot it in a couple camera setups. So they missed it for at least like six or seven camera setups where it was in the shot. That means nobody picked it up or nobody noticed it throughout that entire time. That means it went through the editing process and nobody, I mean, visual effects decided not to paint it out. That means it went through at least like 25 people before it got to our screens and there was that mistake in it and you just don't want to be known as like the starbucks cup on game of thrones That's <laughs> you don't want the game of me. thrones scarlet letter <laughs> Yeah, and they're and they have um like millions and millions of dollars in their budget per episode it's bonkers how much per episode uh they were spending on that and it's like you you just don't want to be known for those gas like titanic Like, why were they already out in the middle of an ocean, but you can see an island in the background? (laughs) Like, it's those little things that you don't want to be known for. So it's better to be detailed about it because... We get ter- torn apart online by fans and writers all the time. It's better to just not fuel that fire if we can't. <laughs> I love that you recognize the
0: scrutiny and you're like, okay, we're on point. We're going to do the best we can to not give you something to scrutinize. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> um, okay, so you know, uh, you had shared with me that, you know, one of your roles is as board member on the Queer Black Voices Fund for the Austin Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, A-Glyph. What does serving on that board mean to you?
1: Yeah. So just to tell you a little bit about A-Glyph, um, it's also known as the Prism Fest. It's one of the oldest film festivals in Austin. And if you don't know, anything about austin it's austin is a film town um and because so much TV and film was being shot out in Austin, uh, they have a ton of film festivals, the Austin Film Festival, um, obviously South by Southwest, um, Scarefest, there's just so many. And, uh, Aglyph is one of the oldest LGBTQIA plus film festivals in the nation. Um, and it was founded in Austin in 1987. Um, and it's, it's just kind of like grown in prosperity, um, I myself am not queer, but I am a huge queer ally. My sister is, um, she identifies as a lesbian. Um, I have plenty of queer family and a ton of queer friends. So I am really, uh, really attached to the plight and, um, making sure that, you know, this is a marginalized community that should have their voices heard more often. Now that people have the language to better Self-identify or explain to others what sexual orientation and gender identity mean. Uh, so A Glyph started this wonderful fund for queer black voices, uh, which highlights queer Black filmmakers and gives them money. So we we pick a round of three filmmakers and, uh, whatever short they've submitted for that year. And we award them at, um, during the festival with, uh, a physical award, a monetary award, which I think is like 5,000 right now per filmmaker. And then we screen their, uh, shorts and have like a feature, a feature film or a feature documentary that we also screen at the festival by a more prominent filmmaker who is also queer and Black. Um, it's a really great opportunity for people from a very niche, marginalized community to have their voice heard. And uh, we've had some tremendous uh creative content come out of this. A uh, few from our first year that we did it, which was Two years ago. So the last one we did was just the second um, time we were able to give an award. Uh, They've gone on to show their work on HBO, Showtime, uh, Stars, which is really, really cool. And uh, they get money to be able to fund their future projects or the project that they submitted.
0: That's um, such an incredible way for you to pay it forward from all that you've learned and know and to be involved with them. And wow, what a lucky sister. The fact that you are not yourself queer, but you love your sister so much that, you you know, you would support an organization like that. Um, She's got to be, you know, super like proud that you're her sister.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love her, even though she's like a pain in my butt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, Sounds like I, a sibling I, thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get to serve on the board with friends of mine, very dear friends of mine. And we just have a really great time watching uh the works of the like we maybe the first year, I think we got maybe like 15 submissions, which was like really cool to like start it off. And then last year we got maybe like 200, It was crazy. Is a huge increase. Um, got a lot of publication from the first year that we did it, and we're hoping to get more next year. After next year, we are increasing the number of winners, as well. I think as the monetary award that they get, which will be really great. Um, but it's been really humbling to be able to see like the hard work people are doing. Um, with a micro budget, because I I mean, I've done shorts myself where I've had to raise my own capital. And it's a very difficult thing to do to raise the funds, to find the locations, to find cast that are consistent <laughs> and will come to your um, to your sh- your filming dates. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of hard work and I'm glad we can award these emerging filmmakers so that way they can have the next stepping stone to becoming the filmmaker that they want to be. Oh, I love that does that kind of keep
0: you grounded too you know being part of AGLIF, like because of the fact that as you grow in you know in the industry and move along um it you know you see still the struggling
1: aspect of it and it keeps you like grounded oh absolutely um I I mean I'll probably explain a little more when I get into the electrics but it's it's really necessary to see, Not only what other people are doing, but to be inspired by them to figure out how to, you know, kind of imitate what they've done on the screen when I know it's done for a budget that's pretty small um, but it, it gives me also a lot of hope that you know more filmmakers are coming and there are still people who want to get into this craft and uh they're really passionate about film. I think that's the most important part and especially considering the times right now, I think queer black voices um and agliph is an important facet in the industry that, Provides an amplified voice, uh, just because the atmosphere for people who identify as queer is pretty hostile. I think it's important to give voice to those people who actually uh, live in those experiences and allow them to express themselves and give their own stories. Well, that's uh, very powerful. Now, okay, so you you had
0: mentioned though in that a little bit of a teaser. I don't know if people caught it about the electrics. And, you know, of course, because you are such a hardworking gal, Fear the Walking Dead is not the only thing you're involved in. Um, as a dedicated person to your craft, you are executive producer of a pilot web series on YouTube called The Electrics. The show's premise focuses on Lucky, a young black woman struggling with friendship, adulthood, and looking for love in a predominantly white city but during this time she's electrocuted by lightning and <laughs> gains the gift of reading other black people's minds that is just wild and creative uh, for sure so how did you get involved in that show and you know, YouTube, that aspect so fascinating. Do you see that becoming a formidable contender, um, you know, more so in the future with series? Uh,
1: so the way I got into the electrics is, uh, as most of the things that I've gotten into, it's just been serendipitous. It's sometimes I kind of just, I, I don't know if maybe I'm lucky, pun intended, <laughs> to be in the right place at the right time. But um, someone in Austin who is a creative Ashley Harris she's the creator of The Electrics so she wrote um the pilot and all the other episodes that we have she had posted on Facebook that she was looking for someone to help her put this to screen and um one of the people in our mutual circle basically sent her my name and um, we went to dinner and then we just started trying to figure out how to shoot this thing. It was very weird because we didn't know each other. And then when we met each other, it's like, it's like I gained a real, a lifelong friend. I, and it's funny Like Everybody calls us the Ashleys. We we plan to be like the Daniels who directed everything everywhere all at once. (laughs) We're like, one day everybody's going to be talking about the Ashleys. And I was like, I know, gang, gang. Um, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um, we went to dinner and we started like she sent me the pilot and um, I immediately fell in love with the premise. I love whenever you can combine comedy and elements of the supernatural. It's always a fun time in my opinion. And um, I really resonated with the story because I obviously live in Austin and it's a, it's a fast changing city. Um, Austin is much different now than it used to be 10, 15 or 20 years ago when I was very young and just visiting. Um, But it's also like being gentrified very fast uh so people who are of color that live in the city kind of often find themselves on the outskirts because you know there are policies in place that um are underlying di- underlyingly discriminatory to, towards people of color so like i'm talking dress codes at clubs where they don't allow Jordans or don't don't allow certain types of hats and it's just very clear that it's meant to be anti-black or um Whenever events play hip hop music in certain spaces around the city, there's still issues of people complaining about those events, but maybe not events that are similarly that are playing more mainstream music. Austin still is going through issues like that, which I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear because it's considered the blue dot in a red state. It's it's something a lot of people don't ex- don't really talk about, which is very interesting, because in my opinion, we're going to talk about liberal cities. I think Houston is a much more liberal city than Austin is um, just because it's more diverse and uh, they just have a lot more acceptance for different um, events and like the way people can um celebrate and do things around the city. So when I read the script, I thought it was very important to like highlight something like that and to make it not uncomfortable for viewers who are not Black, to make it a comedy, just really helped to deliver that type of message, I think. Um, Ashley has written something I think is incredibly funny. And um, the fact that Lucky can hear other Black people's thoughts and how she finds it out is kind of hilarious uh the characters she's chosen are just very they're they they remind me of my own friends which is interesting um and so like I was immediately drawn to the project and we we just on our own time and on our own uh, dime. We planned out like finding the right people to film this, um, scouting locations. Um, this was like true micro-budget filmmaking because this was coming out of our own pocket, and we shot a really beautiful pilot episode, which is available on YouTube uh, because we didn't do a festival circuit with it. We have shot a second episode, um, and we haven't premiered it anywhere because we are currently. Um, entering it in festivals right now. So it's in a festival circuit. So we can hope to gain um, an audience and hopefully hopefully, more finances so we can fund the rest of the season, which is already written.
0: Well, I hope that it gets the attention it deserves and can take off because it truly is. Like I was blown away by the premise. I was like, that is Definitely fresh. And yeah. I, I really respect the fact that the two of you used humor to like, you know, because you knew how it could be perceived. So you used humor as an element to, you know, help people be more open minded about the subject matter. Uh, I think that's genius.
1: Yeah. And while I'm critical of Austin, there are not a lot of shows that feature Austin, which is interesting because, you know, there's 911 Lone Star that's set in Austin and it's shot in Los Angeles. Um, there was an MTV show that was supposed to be set in Austin and that was shot in like, I think Vancouver. So we also wanted to make a point to feature Austin as a character itself, kind of the way New York City is a character in Sex and the City. So we so we've taken a lot of time and care when choosing locations and um negotiating with location owners to feature their restaurants, to feature different parts of Austin, to feature like the park, to show that, you know, this city is also kind of a gem. Um, that's not really seen on the screen much. I love that you took a city
0: and, and made it more than that, you know, in terms of defining it as a character, ha- have you ever come across, you know, obviously people don't know the show yet, like, uh, you know, at least like mainstream wise. So, you know, they're taking like a leap of faith. If you're like, Oh, I want to feature your business, you know, in the show, um, have you been, you know, ha- gotten cooperation from people have you ever come across people that are like ah you know like uh, since I don't know it I'm not so sure like are you getting support
1: yeah we've we've been getting a I was actually surprised by the support once we explained what we were trying to do and the premise like people were like I think finding locations is usually the hardest thing about shooting short films uh, because they can get pretty expensive. But what we found is by creating a partnership to feature these locations and their businesses, um, and explaining like, you know, we want to show Austin and we want to show your business in Austin. Um, so that way people could come here after they see the show and be like, who is in the place that electrics was, uh, filmed in? They, they kind of jumped at it. Um, which is really cool. And we really try to choose places that are um local to Austin so that way we can show these small businesses. So we've tried to stay away from franchise to locations um, just so we can show like the quote unquote mom and pop locations that are here, uh, which has helped us Not only lower costs for location fees, but by creating a partnership, we can lean on for future episodes.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. So you're networking also and being budget conscious.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, In fact, we shot the second episode. The location we shot it in because it's set in a club atmosphere um, was is owned by someone who owned a location that we shot in the first episode and they kind of told them, Hey, this is what they did and why it's important. And they, they were on board, which was really cool.
0: Oh, that's cool. So yes, that those relationships are really important. Yeah. And saved us some time and effort, <laughs> which is always nice. So how do you balance that? Like, do you have to do like one project Focus, then switch back to the other project geographically. How, how or how are you able to pull off like a multi-project uh, overlap?
1: I've kind of been. Figuring that out because I want to make sure that, um, when I am back in Texas, we can jump right back into production. So it's been a lot of virtual meetings on the weekends or in the evenings with Ashley to, uh, prep the, the work that we need to plan for when I return in the summer. So we're doing our prepping um, and our pre-planning virtually. Um, for instance, this Saturday after we're finished, I'm literally getting on the phone with a few location owners so I can get pictures and then I'll send them to Ashley and she's going to physically go check them out because she's in Texas. So we're making it work. Um, so that way we're efficiently using our time um, and adhering to a timeline that we kind of established uh, before I left because we wanted to make sure we keep the momentum going uh, since we had a little bit of momentum.
0: I would say uh, that that must be important. And then she obviously has the understanding of, you know, the primary commitment that you have.
1: Oh yeah, of course. Um, and she, you know, she, like, she's really good about being like, all right, did you sleep this week? Okay. Let's just talk on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, you know, beside, like, if we're looking at from an outside point of view, we both have full-time jobs, And we are creating um, and working on this series outside of that. So uh, we both have to be respectful of each other's time in that in that essence, like she's also buying a house. She's um, engaged. So congratulations to her on that if she listens. (laughs) So she's got a lot on her plate. Um, So we've we've just been uh, making sure our communication is transparent. So that way, if like one of us is having a very complicated weekend or week, then, you know, we can we're luckily far enough from when we would start filming where we can like space it out and make sure we're giving ourselves enough time to regard our own personal time and mental health, which is important, especially if you want to do production, um, to, I know I said there's long hours, but you need to carve out time on the weekends to just take care of you.
0: <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what the Ashley's, uh, come up <laughs> with and, you know, keep going and doing together. Uh, I think you guys, uh, it sounds like you're a powerful duo there. Um, now to your point, okay, you're doing all these projects, right? Uh, you're a busy gal. Like what what do you like to do to you know reset and recharge?
1: Yeah. So I am a social butterfly. So I one thing I will say about Savannah is um there's a lot of good food here, <laughs> great food. And because we don't really know anybody outside of our production, I've been able to like connect with our casting crew on a social level. So we've started we started this thing before we went on break in December where we would just pick a place and eight of us would go to dinner and try a new restaurant. So, um, always trying new food, uh, with them has been really fun. I like to read, um, so I'm I I'm one of those people that buys books and then forgets about them and then <laughs> reads reads later. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those people where the the pile of books you've bought is looking at you while you're ordering another one on Amazon. So I'm always reading books, which is so nice to me. I obviously like to watch television um a lot, a lot more than a lot of people are l- are comfortable with sometimes. But in my own defense, I call it research cuz you should always know what's going on in your industry. Absolutely. <laughs> when I'm home, I like to play with my dog and I love to host um dinners um or just like small get-togethers with my friends. If I'm if I'm not doing anything, I'll put on a face mask and have a glass of wine and that will be a perfect evening for me.
0: (laughs) Well, all of those sound really good. (laughs) I I might have to adopt one or two of those myself. It sounds very
1: enjoyable. (laughs) Uh, One of those like like face masks, you could just stick on your face for 20 minutes. It really is like a very like quick and calming reset because you could do it while you're doing anything. But just sitting there for 20 minutes and having your face moisturized is a really nice feeling. (laughs) You're you're
0: multitasking, but in a self-care way. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. Um, You have just so many super cool things going on. Um, I I am like beyond thrilled to, you know, have you on the show today and, um, you know, for people that want to learn more about Ashley, I encourage you to check out all the cool projects that she's working on, which you can find on her production IG page, which is at Pretty Witty Prod. Thank you for taking the time to unplug with me today, Ashley. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. And to my listeners, remember, be curious, be kind, and be bold.